Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to a valued episode that takes you to the mall of a horror movie. Then, to the other, a little nicer mall of another horror movie. Please join us as we browse the Monroeville Mall of George Romero's 1978 zombie classic, Dawn of the Dead. Then we scope out the Sherman Oaks Galleria, a.k.a. the Chopping Mall, of the killer robot 80s flick, Chopping Mall. From the food court to the candle store, to Build-A-Bear, buyer beware, because at these malls, you shop till you drop. So, take the kids, have a hot dog on a stick, ask about our layaway plans, and remember where you parked as we present Boys and Ghouls, episode 63. Let's go to the mall. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing. Dead I want to kill you. You ever talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Look! The third switch! Give my creation! Carol, I was like, I'll wear the shirt, that way I won't be able to forget it. Oh, thank you for reminding me. I'm probably going to wear mine to work tomorrow. It's okay. I'll put, like, a nice blazer over it. I was going to say, <laughs> it, it just says creep show. It does. Yeah. Um, but it's Friday, right? I can be more casual. Can you? That's I don't what know. They say. I, don't, I don't work in an office. We'll see. I asked Alec last week. I was like, well, I've started a new job. And most everyone wears nice, like, jeans or, you know, and I've been, I've not worn jeans once, mostly because all my jeans are ripped and I need to buy new jeans because I don't have any Your work jeans. Your jeans aren't business casual. Correct. They're rock and roll casual. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, well, barring that, I was like, but at least I considered on the very first Friday at work, I was like, well, what if I wear a horror tee with a blazer over it? And then I didn't, and I decided against it. And then last Friday, second Friday, I asked Alec, I was like, what do you think? And he goes... Maybe give it one more week. So I'm thinking tomorrow is the day. Is the day you I wear let my the... freak flag fly. It says creep show, right? Mm hmm. Okay. Mm hmm. Yeah. Which, by the way, you, man. You were like, I'm going to find a t shirt. It was like our last mission. Yeah. And then I was like, well, let's. Uh, I mapped it out. I was like, if we start on this side of the convention center and we like work our way to the right. Then we should hit every, and then like the fourth one, you're like, found it. Yeah. Well, I'm completely obsessed with that company now. There are so many of their t-shirt designs that I'm like dying to have, so. Um, well, we've just jumped right in. We have. Hey, folks. Kat and I, Marshall speaking, our spooky gab is that we went to Scarlet. We sure did. Again. It's a once-a-year event. This time, not in Pasadena, but in the... Uh, L.A. Convention Center in downtown Los Angeles. A little bigger, but the thing that we 
we're definitely going to include in our spooky gab is that we ran into a fan. Yeah, so we were walking down, scouring the booths, and we heard Marshall and Cat, boys and ghouls, and we turned, and it was... Someone a, I'd never known. Someone neither of us had ever known. I thought, like, oh, Cat must know this person. I thought you must know that person, because you'd said hi to some other guy. Well, he was pretty quick to point out that we had never met in person, that he had only known us on the internet. Yeah, kind of magical. Yeah. And anyway, his name's Eddie Zamora. He was so nice and he's a great photographer. I'm going to shout out his Instagram at EddieZ78. Guessing that 78's a little reference to a certain film that we all know and love, or it's the year he was born in. Either I, way, <laughs> I never it's a good year. It was just for. I, I oh, I see a lot of ins- Halloween. I see a lot of Instagram out. accounts that have seventy-eight in the title because people people love Halloween. He wanted to get a photo with us, and he showed off the Halloween print that he had just purchased. Yeah, like, I'm thinking he's so, a big okay. John Carpenter fan. That'll, le- that'll lend some credence to your interpretation. Of yeah, the I'm, st- I'm sticking with that interpretation. I just figured it was the year of his birth. But nicest guy on the planet. Really cool. It was incredible to have somebody just who lives in Fresno, who I've never heard from before. Someone who's just been quietly living in Fresno. Well, he might live quite loudly, but, you know, as far as we're concerned... From time to time, puts on a pair of earbuds and listens to Marshall and Cat yeah. talk about horror movies. It's totally crazy. That was a new experience for Cat and I. That was awesome. Pretty much. It's we- just like, hey... You're a stranger, but you know us. Totally. Because of this product we make and just send out onto the internet once a month. I'm still not convinced he's not, like, just a ghost that I created from my imagination. Eddie? (laughs) All right. Aside from running into a person who listens to this podcast, which is still just uh, dazzling us, Mm -hmm. uh, what else did we see there? Warner Brothers put on the It experience, which they had also done at Comic-Con, and I I guess they're popping around doing Do you think that was a real bus we were in? Seemed like it. It was like an old school bus. Yeah. Which they had outfitted. In one part, it's sort of like an anteroom where you're in like a mock-up of a sewer, just like an It yeah. Or like you With and like fog and it was kind of musty. Fog and like flashy lights. And, and sound effects down. that were very scary. Yeah. Like a picture of like water underneath of you and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, there's the boat. Yeah. And then you go in and like enjoy your VR experience as you yeah. encounter Pennywise for a Close few. Close encounter Pennywise. For a few good scares. We went in uh, pretty cold. There wasn't anything in particular we were looking forward to. On the map, it just said corn maze. And I was like, brilliant. Because an indoor corn maze, because what corn mazes are lacking is uh, air conditioning. (laughs) Really. When we got there, it was an inflatable corn maze. I guess for like kids parties, maybe um, Oktoberfests, Halloween days. It was cute. I don't know. Corn was painted on the walls. Who rents these things? Yeah. Enough to amuse an adult, but I think a kid would really get a kick out of it. Sure. Big inflatable corn maze. And nice amount of people dressing up. And you got your picture with a costume I'd never seen before. Like, usually there's Ash mm-hmm. and Jason. Or you saw Ribby Jason. You're like, Ribby Jason! Yeah. Your variations on different things. Sure. Actually, there were two Beetlejuices of, no- of note. Oh, uh-huh. There was the Beetlejuice, and I saw them from a distance. I was like, yeah, I think those two girls are supposed to be Beetlejuice and Lydia, sexy versions, in their... Uh, wedding attire. In their wedding attire. Yeah. So, so that sort of, like, maroon tuxedo and that... 
red wedding dress that she wears because she had on like a veil and a little skirt. And then we got up and it turned out most of what we were seeing was actually body paint. It was pretty impressive. I was like, hey guys, nice costume boobs. Yeah, well, you were also like, I want to get a picture with them. And then we got up close and as soon as I saw that their bodies were covered in paint and they were mostly naked, in my head I was like, Marshall, don't ask for their picture now. Don't ask for their... And you didn't. And then we, as the minute we walked away, you were like, mm, I just decided to hold off on asking for a picture. I was like, good call. <laughs> <laughs> No, but the uh, the real prize went to the first Beetlejuice we saw while we were still waiting to get in, which I've seen many iterations of Beetlejuice. Beetlegeises. <laughs> Beetleguy? Beetleguy. Plural for Beetlejuice. <laughs> but I had never before, including previously, I had seen like Wedding Beetlejuice and like Wedding Lydia. Sure. Before. It's a good pairing and on, outfit. On, uh, a nice one is um, animated Lydia with that like big red sort of like spiderweb poncho. Yeah. But this was... I guess the first incarnation of Beetlejuice, if you go in the movie, chronologically, not the one he's most known for, which is the striped outfit, mm. but when he first appears on the television... He's uh, got his southern accent. Yeah, doing that sort of like used car salesman bit, where he's like, come on down, bring the kids, I'll chew on a dog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's got like a cowboy outfit on. Yeah. And because the TV was in black and white, this guy who had dressed up as like cowboy used car salesman Beetlejuice was also in like grayscale. Yeah. Although you got like you left to go to the bathroom but then came back with like a picture of you with him. Mm-hmm. You're like, look what I did. Yeah. Uh, and you said you got close enough you could see like the moss. Yeah, he had green mossy stuff on his face. All right. Which was a nice touch. It really is. But yeah, he seemed kind of sheepish but also kind of delighted that I wanted his picture. And I'm thinking, dude, like don't dress up and come to a place like this if you don't want someone to take your picture. You have to be a bit of an extrovert. To yeah. Malls. Malls. What a charming topic you've suggested. I got so excited when you suggested this to me. I was like, this is the smartest idea you've ever had. All right. I started thinking, I know there was um, a mall in my town, a few blocks from where I grew up, and then there was like the better mall that you had to drive to, and then there was the other mall. There were different types of malls, depending how far you wanted to drive. But how about yourself? Same. Uh, well, the towns that I grew up in were too small to have malls of their own. But uh, You grew up in North Carolina. I, yes. But I, a, a, I grew up outside of Philadelphia. Right. So a town or two over, we had the local mall. So maybe a 15-minute drive okay. that we would go to all the time. As teenagers, it would be a place where our parents would drop us off and we just could do whatever we wanted within reason. Then there was a nicer, bigger mall out towards Charlotte. Then there was a nicer, bigger outlet mall that was really, really popular. But most of the time I went to my local mall, which is still there. But man, the last time I was home for my nephew's wedding, I ended up going to the mall because there was a tailor inside the mall that we were going to get. What, like, was it something. like going to your old school? You're like, it seems smaller, No, but I remember that smell. I'll tell you what. Unfortunately, and we'll dig into this a little bit more, this mall is 
on its way out. It was nothing like I remembered. The structure of it was the same, but the saddest part was just that, like so many malls in America, you know, one of the big department stores had shuttered its doors. It was such a weird mishmash of different things. So I noticed not only was there a tailor in one space and then like some really off, off, off brand, super cheap clothing stores. You can tell they're just slapped up. There was an escape room. There was a survey center. There was an army recruiting center, like the most incongruous slapshot group of like just whoever wanted to rent space versus when I was growing up it very much felt like a typical mall. There were the clothing stores you could expect. Yeah, food court that was bustling all the time. Record store, yes. So it felt very sad, although there was still a Spencer's Gifts, which I was thrilled wow. to go in because that has not changed. That, some of the merchandise has. deep roots they must have. It, no kidding. Hard to pull out of that place. No kidding. But I think that was the only thing that was still there from when I was growing up. Go in and check out a uh, transparent phone. To that point, I sent you an article when yes. we started researching for this episode, and If you want to go and read it, I highly suggest you look up, just Google The Guardian, and the title of the article, which was written in 2014, is The Death of the American Mall. So the author kind of talked to this photographer who goes around taking photos of malls that have gone into disrepair and become completely abandoned. And they kind of describe them as being like ancient ruins, which is just really interesting to me. And all the shopping malls are closed. So a little bit of back history on malls, and they refer to malls like the one that was a few blocks from your home, mid-market malls. So not giant, you know, super malls, but the kind of middle of the road ones that service suburban areas. One for a Kmart for an anchor store. Oh, interesting. So many of these... Oh, and it had a movie theater. And at that movie theater, which was like the first one I could go to on my own, I think the first time I got to go there without like a parent, I just, my cousin and I... Labyrinth. Wow. Followed up by like back to school and then on through my tween years through Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Terminator 2. Interesting. I hate work in the theater. All the action's on the other side of the mall. So many of these mid market malls, like we're talking about, were born during the United States suburban explosion after the Second World War. By the late 1970s, which we'll get into when we talk about Dawn of the Dead, malls were becoming more ubiquitous and more a part of life for people. As mall culture kind of developed throughout the 80s, malls became, and this was certainly true for me, a place to see and be seen, and they quickly matured into a self-contained ecosystem with their own (laughs) species. Mall rats, mall cops, mall walkers. There were mall walkers at my mall. That is the the usually elderly people who get there pretty early in the day. And in fact, this article that I read, it was kind of sad. They were interviewing some of these older people, elderly people, who were continuing to meet up at this kind of dying star of a mall in Ohio. They meet up to walk, and before and after their walks, they would sit in the food court and have a coffee, whatever. And this woman was like, I honestly don't know what we're going to do. There's no safe place outside of this area to go walking. We've been meeting up here for decades, and I don't know what we'll do. And it made me very sad. They are usually a pretty safe place. Now, seeing as how we're a horror podcast, we're not going to get a lot of mileage out of just how safe malls are. Let's be safe in the mall! My local mall, my parents were still kind of afraid for us to go to the mall, even though it seems like such a safe haven. But stranger danger. Biker stranger danger. 
Oh. My town had a, a bit of a biker problem. Okay, so this makes Dawn of the Dead make even more sense. Okay, so <laughs> I'm watching the special features for Dawn of the Dead, and they say they used actual bikers yes. to go into the mall. Those were the Pagans. That's the name of the... They're, Got they're, it. Okay, gang. my town had the Warlocks. What? But they had many scuffles with the Pagans. You knew about this growing up? Yeah, we used to actually... like common knowledge? We would, as children, play... Pagans and warlocks. How did the plebes know about the biker gang wars? I don't understand. It was, well, it was all legend by the time I was a kid because they pretty much cleaned it up because they became sort of like public enemy number one because teenage girls would kind of disappear from the local mall. What? And then show up, you know, somewhere else if alive, maybe, or like in the marsh by the airport. I guess I've always known the term biker gang, but I never really thought about what they got up to. Hey, Johnny, what are you rebelling against? They were all kind of gone by the time I was a kid, but their legend loomed large. Sure. And it was very associated with the local mall. So your parents weren't too keen on leaving you alone. Did they, though, eventually? Yeah, eventually. Yeah. Although, when I was a kid, the sort of bigger mall, a little ways away, that had like two stories, an unbalanced woman went into that when I was about nine years old and shot the place up with a hunting rifle. Whoa! And killed some people. Jesus. So... Just like that other place that you and I once talked about, which is like the place where kids can kind of roam free. Yeah. The carnival. Mm. There was still... We have discussed that, yeah. And you're like, I'm a tween and I can go over here and buy this food or ride this ride or interact with these kids. Or just hang out next to this railing and lean on it and look cool. Exactly. <laughs> but the malls, just like the carnivals, still carried that like pepper of danger. Sure. Through my upbringing. Well, there was also just that feel, like, I mean, I didn't grow up with warring biker gangs uh, looming neither, in the... But, but I know what you mean. But even in lore, I was always, of course, taught, don't go anywhere with a stranger. But there's that feeling when you're inside a mall as a teenager that, like, well, I mean, you could just walk right out the door to, like, the great big true. wide world. It's I always felt really safe inside Well, a there mall. was also always the danger, the fictional danger, of running into kids from another school when you were uh, yeah. roaming the mall. yeah. Packs of three. Um, <laughs> and my goodness, I know lately it seems to be better, but I discussed this with two friends. I had them over to watch Chopping Mall with me, and they're both from different places. One's from Kansas and one's from Illinois. And had I said, they seen the movie before? Oh, yeah, they were more familiar with Chopping Mall than me. Ah. But I said, hey guys, is it just me or was the hallway to the public restroom so long? And just like frightening. Yeah, no Un windows, no doors. Unpainted drywall. Yeah. And the Muzak just stopped. There was no continuity between it and the mall. You were just kind of on your own. And it was quite removed from where anyone could hear you. Totally. In, That's a great point. In recent years, it seems that they've made it less fright. Sure. Just the mall that I go to the most often is the Beverly Center. And, oh. you know, uh, speaking of chopping mall. Ooh, the Beverly Center. <laughs> the Beverly Center. But the restroom I'll go to is, like, on the eighth floor. It's near the stores I go to. And there is a longish hallway, but I believe the music continues throughout. Is it, like, and is the, tile, bathrooms like the are really the fancy. No, I don't think so. But the lighting is nice. Like, it's not terrible. And the bathrooms themselves, the, the women's bathroom at least, so is, like, really like, nice. Considering building a smallish community... Right? You want people to stay to shop. They this isn't Disneyland, Marshall. <laughs> They're not going to imagine you're the scary hallway to the bathroom. But I see your point in that 
I feel like that was pretty consistent for me as well, malls I grew up going for, to. Yeah. It is weird how suddenly the magic, and it was magic, if of you want these to do malls something as simple went as away. Use the restaurant. Yeah, which is something you're almost certainly going to have to do while you're there. You'd think they'd put a little more care into it. Put on your Sunday best, kids. We're going to Sears. By the way, I'm, I meant to mention that in retrospect, find this very charming. Like, mm -hmm. I was definitely from a very small town kind of mentality that a couple years in a row, my high school chorus I was a part of, we would go sing at the mall or the band. We would go play like a, a Christmas concert um, sure. during that time of year. It was something I'd forgotten about until I was doing research for this and thinking back on my mall days. And I was like, oh, my God, we performed at Christmas time. At the mall. For, and the, the little old white-haired ladies that stop and, oh, how lovely, you know. Right. Christmas shopping gets worse every year. Went home for Christmas uh, a few years ago and looked at the local paper. And it says, Hollywood comes to Ridley. Opened it up. And Peter Jackson... Peter, Lord of the Rings Jackson, was two blocks away at my mall. Wow. Which by then was basically a Kmart, a whole lot of nothing, I think like a fashion bug, and just waiting for a wrecking ball. <sighs> really. It had been up since the beginning of the 70s, and that 70s aesthetic never got updated. Looks like a disco. They were there filming The Lovely Bones. Oh, yeah. Have you seen? Mm, no. But I, a no. movie about a girl who gets abducted. Mm -hmm. Not from the mall, but they do go to the mall several times in the film. And they needed a mall that still looked like the 70s that didn't mind being completely taken over two weeks before Christmas. So check the McDade Mall. I like to ponder over the fact that Peter Jackson and Weta could create all of Middle Earth... <laughs> But they still needed to find a mall. To get a Pennsylvania <laughs> 70s mall. They just couldn't perfect that burnt orange and dusky pink tiles that matched with like... It was a specific like color palette, for sure. beer brown. Ugh. And, yeah, mm -hmm. 70s. <laughs> so that's what I came up on. But it was great. I just watched Lovely Bones for the first time. And I could see, like... They were doing like a little fashion show, like right where I had sat on Santa's lap and later paraded in a Halloween costume contest. Third prize. Mm. My sister took home first more than once. And then it's just like, oh, they've got a movie theater. It's not where the movie theater was, but rather where the Chinese food that my dad liked to go to was. And look, a bookstore, approximately where I think a bookstore actually was. And a record store back in place from when that was a thing. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty nice. They had restored my local mall to its former glory. Come as you are to my mall, to my atrium, yeah, yeah. Another mall that I got my first job at. My first job was in an Annie Ann's Pretzels at the Granite Run Mall. Same thing. As a structure, it was perfectly fine still, but it had gotten boxed out by population you might say, which just kind of grew in a way that didn't feed into the mall anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was basically sitting empty, and Kevin Smith had scouted it for Mall Rats 2. Everybody loved you at this mall. F him. There was like a photo of him on Instagram, him and his daughter, like outside the Grand Run Mall. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, do it! Preserve my mall on film before the wrecking ball comes. But they couldn't time it out, and uh, the wrecking ball came without a Mall Rats sequel being filmed there. That's too bad. Big time shopping is finally here, Monroeville Mall. Let's uh, step 
from that into another Pennsylvania mall, the Monroeville Mall of the 1978 Dawn of the Dead. So, A.K.A. Zombie. Zombie with an I. Yep. In its Italian release. So watching it, I mean, I'm afraid of zombies as is. Yeah. But on a real developmental part of my brain, the one that has been going since 1976, the color scheme and aesthetics of a 1977-78 Pennsylvania shopping mall was basically the makeup of my concept of the world as my brain formed. So when I see that plus a zombie apocalypse, it gets me where I live. Greatest comfort and maybe not comfort, but familiarity plus biggest fear. The, the building blocks of my concept of what the outside world was. Yes. Rampaged by zombies. Oof. And then bikers. And then zombies. So whether you have a, uh, a color scheme based memory to this film or not, it is a quality piece of work. George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. Dawn of the Dead. What the hell is it? Looks like a shopping center, one of those big indoor malls. What are they doing? Why do they come here? Some kind of instinct, memory, what they used to do. This was an important place in their lives. It is a horrible, hauntingly accurate vision of the mindless excesses of a society gone mad. Never comforting that they always took place in Pennsylvania. Yeah, no wonder you're kind of freaked out by Romero was from Pittsburgh. A lot. Yeah. This one he started in Philadelphia though at the news station, and folks, we just lost George Romero slightly after Kat and I decided to do this as a topic. We will in the future do an entire episode on Night of the Living Dead, wherein will be a lot of George Romero's earliest work and life, you know, Let's biography say. type stuff. Night of the Living Dead has ended. Dawn of the Dead is here. So he'd already done Night of the Living Dead. He had moved on to doing other movies. Some of which I learned about watching the feature documentary called The Dead Will Walk that was made in, I think, 2004. There was also one called Document of the Dead, which so was I actually watched The Dead Will Walk. Filmed at the time. Oh, wow. A lot of footage from that documentary made it into Dead Will Walk, but something that a rather in-the-moment observation, because Devil Walk was just kind of looking back, like, oh, I remember that day, was that they considered the mall to look very futuristic. And I'm like... Really? I guess so. I, well, that's just kind of how architecture works, isn't it? Yeah, like, sure. Like, At the very least, it's state-of-the-art, if not yes. futuristic. Whatever you're building at the time. When they're designing it, it's just like, it's the shopping of the future! <laughs> Whereas we see it as this, like, covered-in-amber representation yeah, it's of, like you of walk in past. and you turn sepia toned yeah or uh dusky pink Brick. and burnt orange yeah but yeah malls at the time were just kind of like here's the way we're heading as a people but so, you were saying that romero had already done night of the living dead obviously and he'd was, done a couple of other things including martin right which yeah, i also haven't seen but i've heard a lot about he was approached by dario argento mm -hmm. who was like romero what do you think about doing a sequel to night of the living dead and Romero actually knew the people who owned the Monroeville Mall. Yeah. And was getting a tour of it. And because, think about it. I mean, I love that. It's so charming to me because malls were a relatively new kind new. of thing. Yeah, and so they're like, come take a tour of this mall. The, the, this the, thing that you and I took for granted The great, up. now almost comical line in it is when they're approaching the helicopter and they say, what is that down there? It's one of those new shopping centers. <laughs> it's one of those indoor malls. Yeah. yeah. This place has got everything. 
the first thing that takes them from outside the mall to inside the mall, because at first they're just like stopping to like capture breath. And then they say, hey, there's a whole bunch of supplies up here. Apparently that was a real thing that was mm. pointed out to Romero on the tour, which was the shopping mall contained emergency rations for like a flood or a war or something. All these emergency food and medicine and stuff were all kept in the mall. And he was like, oh, well then, if somebody were during a, a night of the living dead... They could really. They even said his his friend said like you could survive a nuclear fallout or not that but you know like some kind of disaster Disaster. and Romero thought huh or a zombie outbreak and so Argento was like great good idea come to Rome and write it out and he did and they worked out that for European release Argento could recut the film and add his own sound which is how the band Goblin Goblin got involved in all their great. Synth and... It's so good. Whereas Romero was just a master at what they call library music. Mm-hmm. Which he used music. quite a bit of in Dawn of the Dead. He talks about it in the documentary. Yeah. Uh, the which thing which that... includes that great closing... The closing credits music? Gonk, I believe it's called. It's so perfect right there. Yeah. I mean, so good. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Looking back again to Night of the Living Dead, part of the sort of stabilizing thing, even though it only delivered bad news, was when they would tune in the news. Mm. They'd tune in the news on TV and they'd be like, great, we can see what's happening. And, And they'd find comfort in just knowing that other people were out there. This movie starts in the newsroom. And it this, hits you like a wall the of energy brick. is already just going cacophonous like noise people trying to I read it's do supposed their to be jobs like, yeah like three weeks in to a zombie uh, mm-hmm. outbreak and it's like okay we don't have images of the government falling apart but nor would we if things really fell apart what we would get is the images of the news falling apart People aren't willing to accept your solutions, Doctor, and I, for one, don't blame them. Every dead body that is not exterminated becomes one of them. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. Everyone's shouting at each other. People were cursing on the air. There was, like, a guy running through and, like, giving bunny ears. People leaving their posts. There was one he's like, if we don't run the list of refuge areas, people will stop watching. Right. So run that list. He's like, oh, these are outdated. And they're all just yelling at each other. It is tense from when you go in. Oh, and it opens with our female protagonist mm-hmm. snapping awake. Yeah, she just from being, get, right? getting a cat nap. It's like election night. Yeah. I like, think that's such a genius way to open it. There is a martial law state in effect in Philadelphia as in all other major cities in the country. And then it's like the police are falling apart. The SWAT team is falling apart. There's that one guy who's just going around just shooting people. And that's something that I think was so at the top of my mind while watching the movie the whole time, which gets into a lot more later with the bikers. You know, the people that always emerge in these kinds of situations, the kind of people who adjust really well. It's like the comment that somebody made about the redneck people in the backcountry or the rural people. He's like, they're probably enjoying this. Like, there is a certain breed. That was a great little break also. Sure. From uh, from just all the tension. But there's this strain of like there just something comes out in some people. In I, I, it's not just that though. It's people who take glee in like you know they not only go well this is just what's happening now, but they're like excited to blow people's heads off 
and they're they it's like they've detached the themselves right and i understand that these things that are walking around are not people anymore but they still look like people so we identify when peter the character doesn't want to shoot the kids or any one of them has a hard time like shooting and hesitates yeah. because it's like you hope that you would feel the same way because that, they look like people but there are some people in these situations who just are like yeehaw let's throw a pie in their face and make fun of them and blow their brains out and kill them inventively because this is fun yeah although those do seem to last the longest mm -hmm. um, it seems that sure. the way it got out of control is people couldn't reconcile that their loved ones were no longer their loved ones. Which is so understandable. And, okay, so you had the first movie was in, like, an isolated farmhouse, and then this one opens up... Before we get to the modern isolated farmhouse, the mall, we're in a place where people are sort of stacked on people, and they're in, like, the projects. And it's just all these, these like, narrow hallways with zombies coming out, and they go down to the basement, and... You never forget that basement. They even said, like, on set filming it, they were yeah. just really grossed out. Even though it was, it was a bunch of extras, it and was still just, like... Just sick. Terrifying. And to your point about people, like, not being able to accept their loved ones or mm -hmm. not their loved ones anymore, that moment, the first moment in the movie where I was like, oh, God, is when the woman, her boyfriend or husband or whomever, yeah, is, she's like... And bites comes on the neck. And she's hugging him, and then, Ugh, and he takes a chunk out of her neck, and she's screaming. I was like, oh, God, this is awful. Man, there's a lot of people who are running out. I could run. I could run right tonight. And they flee town, and they make it to presumably Monroeville. Yeah. Kind of on the other side of the state. And decide in degrees, whereas for us, it's kind of a foregone conclusion. You're like, I'm all set up camp. Yeah. But it's like, first they go after the supplies, and then they say like, well, you know, I'm looking around here. There's a lot more supplies and things that can keep us going if we just go down and scuffle with a few zombies. Or, hear me out, we block up the doors, kill everyone trapped inside that's a zombie, and the mall's ours! Yeah. And I find it interesting that very early in the film, the woman, she expresses a desire for them not to become intoxicated by the mall, like by its allure. Sure. Like she thinks that it's not a good thing. Is she in sort of like a what have we become state? Yeah. This is like after the fact? No, no, no. This is before that. There were two moments. There's one where she she gets she as said, bad as anybody else. She does. This is well before the what have we become moment, because after that is where she learns to fly the helicopter and all of that. But this is earlier. She says... Something about them being hypnotized, how everything is neatly packaged so they don't see that it's a prison. This is before she kind of toughened okay. up a little bit. But those were her words. Everything is neatly packaged so you don't see that it's a prison as well. So I think that is interesting. And someone mentioned in the documentary about how ahead of his time Romero kind of was in this commentary about consumerism. Yes, which I'd heard about that kind of after I calmed down from Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> That is like, oh, it's a great commentary on consumerism. And You're I'll, like, huh? Uh, but zombies. All it was to me was just like terror shopping terror. <laughs> but I, I thought about it. I was like, yeah, no, I can see it. I can see it. But I only went as far as the zombies. As far as them just sort of, one, why are they attracted to the mall in the first place? It's because it's like it's all they know to do. I love that answer. Get it? Because people are just zombies. <laughs> and then them wandering around the mall. And I'm like, get it? Zombie consumers. Corporate slaves. 
Consume, consume, consume. I like that you've turned into like a stoner tinfoil hat guy. You're like, you don't understand, man. Or just a guy in his 20s. Or that. Just a guy. Letting everyone else know he gets it. Sure. But I did not get it. <laughs> because it wasn't until I rewatched it and then, you know, put on my thinking cap that I was like, oh, the survivors are also consumers because they find safety mm-hmm. in all this stuff. They find security in all this stuff. They're excited to try on the clothes and look watches and, and, and really, all of that, despite it, the fact that they're in a life-threatening situation. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly makes them feel better for a while when the line is delivered that, you know, when there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. They are all wearing some very expensive, like, fur-lined coats. <laughs> well, it was cold. But sure. yes, you're yeah. right. I know what you mean. And they did, by the way, they filmed through the winter taking a break at Christmas because filming at an active mall, they couldn't like take down the Christmas decorations and put them back up again. So the production just like took Christmas off. Mm-hmm. Also, filming in a mall, lots of people are volunteering to be, be zombies. They never had a problem getting zombie volunteers. Mm-hmm. But there were already mall walkers who, if the older generation in 78, so these are like people who served in like wars. <laughs> We're then greeted by people with zombie wounds. People leaving after a long night of shooting. Who insisted on like going a lot, apparently, like went home in their makeup mm-hmm. to like show their families and be like, I'm a zombie, brr. I did that once. It was technically ghost makeup, but I wore really disturbing ghost makeup home. But I stopped at Wendy's <sighs> to get food, and I warned the people before I drove around to the second window. I was like, hey, just so you know, I look a little freaky, but I'm fine. And I pulled around, and the two women didn't blink. They were just like 732. Hey. Like they didn't even. Hollywood. It's, yeah. Am I right? Yeah. They're still here. They're after us. They know we're still in here. They're after the place. They don't know why. They just remember. Remember that they want to be in here. What the hell are they? They're us, that's all. But yeah, so consumers. Yeah. And they fall pretty hard once they finally get everything squared away. And then, unfortunately, one of their own is bitten. And there's only, like, like four of them, like two SWAT team members, the news producer, and the helicopter pilot. One of the SWAT team members gets bitten, mm-hmm. and you get a great scene as he, like, is going. But he's like, I'm going to try not to turn. It was really upsetting. Yeah. All of that. And what I find interesting about that kind of stuff that it is an element of the movie... Very much so, the serious stuff, is that hearing Romero talk about it in The Dead Will Walk, in that documentary, he's like, you know, I look at this as a romp. He's like, I don't look at it as a scary movie. He's like, it's a comic book. He's a lot closer to it than we are. For sure. And, like, while there were definitely moments where I was, like, and grossed out by, like, the gross stuff, I wasn't particularly afraid of the zombies, but I definitely cared about the characters and was very disturbed when bad things happened to them or were likely to happen to them. And so the scene you're talking about where the guy gets bitten, Peter's like, you got to take care of that leg, man. He's like, I'm taking care of it. He has this line that just broke my heart. He's like, we got a lot of stuff to get done before you can afford to lose me. It's like he immediately knew, like, we can't rest on our laurels. I can still help you, but I know I'm on a time crunch. And it's like... he just got a death sentence. Oh, it's so upsetting. Yeah. It hurts my heart. Ugh. We did it, didn't we? We whipped them, didn't we? That's right, Rod. Didn't we? Didn't we whip them? 
Sure did, buddy. In the remake, there was... By the way, I like the remake. Yeah, um, it's been years since I saw it, but I remember thinking... Dazzlingly was... frightened by it. Get up, come on, get down with the sickness. So, whereas the original Dawn of the Dead deals very much with containing the doors. They, like, drive these trucks in front of the doors and it gives the zombies. They don't have, like, the leverage to break the glass. And there's, like, getting in, they've got a helicopter. In the remake, they really didn't focus on how they got into the mall. They just, you see some glass break and you're like, well, they're in. (laughs) And then someone has one line that's, like, shatterproof. Apparently the glass is shatterproof. But what they do deal with in the remake that they didn't deal with in the original is that they like run out of power mm. at one point. Whereas in the original, they're like, oh, the power's still on. Hmm, must be hooked up to a nuclear must power plant. Must be nuclear, yeah. And Which in central Pennsylvania, there was famously nuclear power. And that's where Three Mile Island was. But they were just like, yeah, we got power for days. Whereas in the remake, it became an issue. Mm-hmm. Although they kept the scene of a person keeping watch. Keeping watch over someone who was about to turn. And that was uh, Matt Frewer was the guy who was mm. bitten. And Ving Rames, who uh, you never think much about those things that they pull down in the store as being, you know, like really trapping someone in or out. But when he pulls that thing down and he like voluntarily stays in the furniture store with Matt Frewer as he gives a few good lines about like you want to hang on to every second. Mm. And then, you know, Another thing, uh, just a practicality of it, because I know you and I have talked a lot about you know, in our Hack to School episode, which I feel like we reference a lot. I think it's just because it was one of my favorite episodes that we did. Yeah. But you brought up the tropes of school and using the tropes of school. And so I love you talking about the... Security The metal garage door type things. And, you know, the things of the mall. But I know you mentioned to me you wanted to talk about mannequins. Yes, well, throughout. Like, we watched more than just Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. In the original, they used mannequins for target practice. (laughs) Yeah. And then I think maybe some zombies wind up dragging mannequins around once everything like breaks down again. And just yeah. parts are flying when the bikers come well, in. Well, I was going to say, I also really like that there are a few moments where bodies are flying and mannequins are part of that. And I remember there's a moment where someone runs a car over a mannequin that at first you're not sure in the shot. Like, it looks it a like person? a person. A but then you realize it was a mannequin. But it's just part of just the noise of limbs and bodies just kind of flying everywhere, yeah. which is kind of cool that they're just incorporated. In Night of the Comet, oh. they do the whole, like, freeze and someone will think I'm a mannequin, but I'm not, rat-a-tat-tat. <laughs> and in Chopping Mall, there's several mannequins in a row to fool the robots that they've set up and then like the people also with guns were just like hold really still (laughs) we're not mannequins but in the original dawn of the dead they do it where like you think it's a mannequin oh my god it's a zombie i jumped that scene was only added because oh the continuity issue continuity he had a jacket around his waist in one part and he didn't in another part so they were like, oh, we got to get this jacket off of him. So they just wrote this scene of like, well, there was a handyman still in there holding really still until it was time to just go, blah, yeah. not a mannequin. Yeah. The mall itself was like this huge playground. If they wanted to get into a store or something, some guy would show up with a thousand keys and open up J.C. Penney's. And we can't talk about Dawn of the Dead without talking about Tom Savini. The man himself. Pittsburgh's own. Yeah. Yeah, Tom Savini. 
One of the production managers in the documentary was talking about how a lot of them were able to go to Hollywood and make a name for themselves because they lived in Pittsburgh and worked on Dawn of the Dead and people respected Romero. Yeah, and it was a real homegrown movie. Yeah. By the way, the National Guard was just the local National Guard. Yeah. Zombies were just people they knew. Yeah. The mall. They could have never, if they had to build a mall, like they built the mall for the remake. They say inside of a mall. So they like took probably like a closed mall and then mm. just built a functioning mall. Mm-hmm. Imagine just like one shot in the department store and there's just all these coats, for example. Mm. If they had to buy all those coats themselves or rent those coats, that goes uh, half their budget yeah. on yeah. coats. True. So having access to that mall and all of its production value was invaluable Amazing. to creating it. But yeah, Savini, oh, uh, yeah, Savini, total local guy. Talented local guy who was given the instruction of, like, figure out cool ways to kill people. And so from the head blowing up to the screwdriver in the ear to the machete in the head, he had a blast on this production. I love him saying that real life was so, so boring compared to being on the set of Dawn of the Dead, which is just what you want to hear as, like, a fan of film, a fan of horror films, a fan of specific films. You want to hear that people, like, had a blast and the extras who were in the documentary talk about how much fun it was on set. Like, the one, the nurse zombie even says, she's like, I had a hard time keeping a straight face. Apparently, um, Romero runs a good set and is very good at taking contributions from other people. Yeah. So then Savini, like, put himself in front of the camera as one of the bikers. Um, he was, he's good. Yeah, because... Oh, the, I always find him good yeah, in movies. Yeah, the actual bikers that they used that, like, provided their own motorcycles, they only had those for them for, like, two days. So there was a lot of stuff with just their actor bikers, of which he was one of, because he'd always be there anyways. I believe he was called Blade. <laughs> and he was a gymnast in high school. He does, like, flips and stuff in um, From Dusk Till Dawn. That's really him, like, doing flips. I didn't realize he that. He is an athletic fellow. So he did his own stunts. He would do his own stunts as Blade and then would do other stunts yeah. as other characters. Yeah. He'd put on a blonde wig and he's like, now I'm a lady. <laughs> and the lady zombie. And do her stunts. There's just no end to his energy and enthusiasm. Yes. You know. So Tom Thomas Savini. Yeah. Thank you. And then don't forget the atmosphere was Halloween every night. We're making people up, you know, having a blast in this playground. It was just a dream existence, you know. They broke into the mall for the wildest all-night party of their lives. But you're never alone in the chopping mall. On the short list of immediately occurring to us movies for like, well, let's do malls, was Chopping Mall, which I'd never seen. You talked about with me once before, and I was like, I assume it's a guy going around a mall uh, killing people, chopping them up, and you're like, you'd think. You'd think. I got part of that right. It was a mall. Well, the, the poster, the key art for it would suggest yes. something like that. As we had, were researching Chopping Mall. 1986. 1986 is Chopping Mall. They made a How Did This Get Made about it. Did you get to listen to it? I didn't. Great fun. Of course. So I'm going to try not to go over too much points that they had made, but you watch it and there's just a lot of like, you can like legitimately enjoy it as a horror film and then just enjoy just the, let's say, missteps it takes. Sure. Of which there are many. I guess I'm just not used to being chased around a mall in the middle of the night by killer robots. The very concept of it, that you would need these military grade 
I mean, there's no such thing as military-grade robots. But why are these things uh-huh. guarding a mall? Guarding a mall. Which also has these, like, great fortress doors that locks everybody in. Couldn't you just use the doors? It just seems like really flimsy non-precautions to be like... We're going to implement this whole thing and give our employees badges, but not warn them that there's a very real risk of death. And you'd think it would be so much more strict. Because they have lasers. Yeah, I mean, oh, God. That's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to... Once you accept, though, that there are robots that can kill, which have been given the same treatment as Johnny Five in Short Circuit, which is if lightning strikes a robot or something the robot is hooked up to, then it will go off of its original programming. Sure. Whereas Johnny Five just wanted to uh, go out and see the world. <laughs> These robots are now Killbots, which was the original title. Thank you. Have a nice day. By the way, I thought about you mm-hmm. a lot during the whole thing, but um, okay. especially the opening credits, which were a montage of, like, mall stuff. And I was yes. like, this is perfect. Yes, which looked really familiar. And I was like, oh, this is the same mall from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And it's the same mall from Commando. And it's the same mall from something I found out about today. Just today. Phantom of the Mall. Mm. Which is a Phantom of the Opera story. Oh boy. Set in a mall. Came out in 1989. It has Pauly Shore. It's the Leaning Tower of Chisa. <laughs> Once you're watching all these films... Which, by the way, you didn't say. It's the Sherman Oaks Galleria, right? It is the Sherman Oaks Galleria. Mm-hmm. The um, interior. The interior. The exterior of Chopping Mall is the Beverly Center, speaking of yeah. the Beverly Center. Watching these movies in a row, you become pretty familiar with their geography. <laughs> where the stairs are and where the elevator is and all the different stores. Mm-hmm. Which, a lot of these movies, they managed to keep the names of the stores and just the products. And I don't know if they asked for permission or... But it's like, oh, there's a Golden Arches. Yeah. There's Could, McDonald's in here. Couldn't do that today without, like, partnerships and sponsorships. In and the Dawn of the Dead remake, there was no collaboration. They had to make up the names of all their stores. Whereas in Chopping Mall, only a few stores got renamed or were fake in the first place. Yeah, there were a couple that I was like, oh, yeah, that's a store. And they were just like, wink. Oh, sure. There was the Peck and Paul's Sporting Goods, <laughs> which... Let's talk about the availability of guns in malls for a second. Yeah, I mean, whole bunches of guns in Dawn of the Dead. Which I was like, well, I guess in the 70s. Turns out, no, that mall did not contain a gun store. Uh They had to go off-site for another gun store. Uh Aha. But yeah, I was like, well, you can buy everything else here. I guess no one thought it was a bad idea to have guns. That you can buy the caviar and the champagne they were eating and drinking in Dawn of the Dead. Might as well be able to buy guns. And then, I mean, you can buy guns at Walmart, so it shouldn't be that big of a surprise. Sure. In the remake, it becomes a big plot point that there is a gun store. It's just like an unreachable two miles away. Ah. So they only have a limited amount of ammunition. You sure you know how to shoot that? Yeah. Saw Dirty Harry 24 times. In Chopping Mall, they find guns aplenty. And, boy, everyone knows how to shoot guns. Yeah. Again, comparing it to the more gun-realistic 2004 Dawn of the Dead, there's at least a moment where someone has to be shown where the safety is on Mm -hmm. a gun. Whereas in Chopping Mall, three of the guy survivors, which we haven't even really talked about how people get in the mall, but at one point there's like three guys left, just like 20-year-old guys, and they all seem to know how to load and shoot a variety of firearms. Yeah. And Kelly Maroney's character is a pretty crack shot. Yes. But she has to, like, turn to camera and go, my dad's a Marine. <laughs> Which reminded me of Night of the Comet, where they can shoot Uzis 
and they go like, our dad's a green beret. So you go, oh, so that's how a girl knows how to shoot guns. Mm-hmm. Her dad is in the service. Whereas guys shooting guns? They just they, they just, just assume the audience is just going to be like, oh, yeah, sure, dudes, guns. Yeah, like one went as far to say, like, I've seen Dirty Harry like, oh, a whole bunch of times. Louise. Uh, all right, that ought to do it. My eyes couldn't roll further back in my head. Dudes are just credited for just what they don't even, they just exist. Although. And they need applause. Early in the film. It's the gal who can fix the truck and the guy can't. That's right. I did right. appreciate that. I like that couple. They're like a married couple. They like they run are. a garage together, you assume. So let's uh, let's talk about couples. Yeah. There's let's. four couples. In Chopping Mall. In mm-hmm. Chopping Mall. And a few of them work in the mall. And they all decide to have a party in the mall after hours in one of their uncle's furniture store or where a few of them work. It's good times to the max. Great place to party because it has a whole bunch of beds, which seems to be all they're really after how did this get made really spent some time on why are they all just having sex like right next to each other right next to each other why is the married couple forsaking their marital bed to just go <laughs> do it <laughs> in, in like point. clear view of two other couples oh my god like is that just their kink it's so weird i suspect that like lots of other things between script and screen i think it was supposed to be a much larger store possibly even department store yeah we're Everyone would have their own area. Area of the store. But unlike many of the other stores in Chopping Mall, this was a store they had to build themselves for the purposes of the movie. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't as big, I think, as they wanted. Because I could really see, like, you know, one couple and then way over here is, like, another. Maybe I'm a prude. I don't know. No, I I also think that in some ways it seems purposeful because there are you can see couples like humping in the background of a shot. Oh no, no, they embraced it once they did it. Right. I just think that like in its inception when you're like giving motivation to these people, that it's not like so uh, then they all have sex in front of each other. You smell like pepperoni. Well, that's the way you feel. Wait a minute. What? I like pepperoni. Oh, in that case. They could have just gone into another store or, like, just another part of the mall. Just take a sleeping bag or a mattress or something. Yes. Privacy is nice. Maybe we just have a hang-up. But I really picture (laughs) that, I'll just say, the virgin couple, because they are the ones who survived to the end. Yeah. They didn't have sex in the store, ergo, they must be complete prudes. Totally. I picture them in a version of the script in the television section, like they did in, a, in the, again, Dawn of the Dead remake. Keep going back to that one for just a little realism. When they want to watch a little TV, they go over to this bank of TVs. So we haven't said this is a Roger Corman-produced film. Mm-hmm. It lets you know it from the restaurant where they work is filled with unframed posters of Corman films. Paul Bartel and Mary Warnoff. If you remember from our uh, Cannibal episode, I talk about the movie uh, Eating Raul. They are reprising their roles from Eating Raul. Mm. They're the Blands. They're like the ultimate yuppie couple. And Night of the Comet keeps coming up. Mary Warnoff is in. Mary Warnoff, Kelly Maroney. Kelly Maroney's the best. Also unrelated, but like Barbara Crampton, who's I just love. Like fresh off the Reanimator. Yeah. I don't know why I watch these things. I'm scared so easily. I'm sorry. I should have told you about that. I've seen this one a few times. Okay, so then the two of them, like, on their kind of first date, 
Um, You're talking about the nerdy couple, the, 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 nerdy the virgins. Couple, they're watching Roger Corman like attack of the crab monsters, because mm-hmm. why not? And behind them, you can just see like figures moving in sheets. I picture them in some idealized version of this project, just kind of way over in like a TV section. But when the production said like, uh, you want to have like 12 TVs? How about one? <laughs> so I can give you one. One black and white set. And it's not in a section. It's just a good nine to ten feet away from our other actors. <laughs> Who are currently doing the nasty. As they do it. <laughs> oh, God. You're the king. You're the king. Chocolate for the furniture, king. They're having a nice time. Leaving that behind. <laughs> but it's a sticking point. Yeah. We also get to see Dick Miller who has the same name, they were sure to get out his first and last name, as he did in Roger Corman's Bucket of Blood. And he also, in that scene, has a bucket. Uh-huh. So. Thank you. Have a nice day. And then the other stores, there was the, the pet shop. Ooh, that's scary. Because it turns out all you really had to do was hold very still and the robots would just... Not see you. Sure. Apparently. And Kelly Maroney is in the pet store, and the robot comes in, just, like, knocks over a bunch of, like, snake and... Tarantulas. Tarantulas, and they're, like, (laughs) crawling all over her, and she's like, gotta stay still, and the snake's like, okay. My friend Abby Cobb, who you've met... I have. She just filmed a movie that isn't out yet, but she was posting all sorts of videos on Instagram and photos of herself covered in tarantulas, like, and by covered, I mean one or two on her face. That's all it takes. Just crawling around. Yeah, like, just dealing with it, because she had to, because that's what a scene called for, and I'm just looking at it like... Ah, I held one tarantula when I was a kid, and I understand that they can't kill me, but completely terrifying. Oh, my God. They're cute or whatever, and I can appreciate and sympathize with them. I don't want any undue hurt coming to them, but I also don't want one on my face. So kudos to Kelly Maroney. Kudos to Abby Cobb. Right. Because good God. I don't like spiders or snakes, and any one it takes to love me. Like I wanna be loved by you. What eventually kills the kill bots? Explosions. Because mm. when a mall has everything. Yeah. You gotta use your surroundings. Propane tanks seems to be a big one in these films. Right. And it, that's the other thing that, like, I'm not sure if this is just something that was phased out by the time I was going to malls or if it was just my mall was too small for stores like this. But, like, we didn't have, like, hunting stores and auto parts stores and caviar and champagne and, like, <laughs> you know, all these things in the malls that are in the malls of these films we're discussing. But I don't know if that's you just... You seem to be, with what you were telling me earlier, kind of put out by malls that don't have sort of a continuity of theme. No. Not really. It's just I'll never be able to properly express to you the decrepitude and like sad piecemeal non-cohesion factor of my mall now. It's so sad. It's a hollowed out hulk of what it was. Like it's a mess and it's upsetting. And it's not really like it was themed before, but it's just like every storefront was filled and like there were people in them instead of like one sad Spencer Gifts and like an escape room no one's at at noon on a Tuesday, just like one pimply teenager hanging outside like, you want to come inside? It's just sad. Oh God. Anyway. Yeah. I don't think that the Galleria necessarily had a paint store. 
Yeah, but I mean, whatever. It's a mall. I mean, the the concept is that there are a bunch of different types of stores, different stores yeah. for different things. And it was, I mean, what came before these, besides department stores, is just like, you got to get paint, go to the paint store. Yeah. You got to drive across town, go to the gun store. That's what made it magical as a place to go spend a good deal of time. And I thought about that when in, just to go back to Dawn of the Dead, where there was like an automated message that came on at one point that was like, if you spend $5 or more in the next five minutes, we got a bag of candy for you to take home to the kitties or just have for yourself. And it's just right. like over the loudspeakers. And I realized that was probably a Christmassy type of a message or Maybe. Valentine's and Day or something like that. Its use in the film seemed to me just like the quickly receding civilization. Totally. Used to be concerned about this. Right. But now we're concerned about this. But it also put to mind for me the idea, like you said, of spending time at the mall enough to have a meal and like while, you're going there to do a bunch of shopping and make a day of it. It's at a certain time was a novelty. Yeah. You know? I think earlier in the existence of malls, they really pushed to be a part of the community. Yeah. Right? So like things like little fashion shows. Band rentals. concerts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were more concerned about being a functioning part of the community. And then they became like a community into themselves. Mm -hmm. And now, well, depends what's left. Yeah. By the way, there was not a, you mentioned there was a theater in yours. There was not a theater in my hometown mall. So the first and only, I think, theater I've ever been to that was inside a mall is that one in Burbank, inside okay. that indoor yeah. mall. But I remember going to a late movie there and coming out of the theater and, you know, you have to walk out of the mall. And the mall's closed, but the movie theater, you still have to be able to walk outside. And I just remember that being a really spooky feeling. I guess that's the closest I'll ever get to, like... Going out through a... Like Dawn of the Dead. A closed-down mall. Yeah. yeah. Spooky. Uh, yeah, when I worked in a mall, sometimes we'd have to stay and clean the place up. And leaving through a closed-down mall was always very, like, where'd everybody go? Yeah. Because it's a place that's supposed and to be full of people. You know what? It's scary. Like, a ghost town is scary. Because they are, by design, trying to be, like, little communities where you can get kind of one of everything and spend hours. And then when the community just shuts down, it's like, hello, 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 hello. <laughs> I still, whenever I, I stop and get, I can get a Wetzel's pretzel. It does the same thing as if I get an Annie Ann's pretzel. And it just sort of takes me back to that first job. Mm -hmm. Like at the mall, just like, and just bam, I'm right back there. Time travel. And a little at a time, these movies about malls are sort of becoming our historical documents as to what life looked like during these periods, which I never really thought about that till we sat down and watched them. In particular... I guess there was a thing about putting ashtrays near payphones, but if you'll see down like a hallway, I think they got used a bunch in like Dawn of the Dead, and I've certainly noticed it in Chopping Mall and Phantom of the Mall, 
which is there would be these pay phones, which and there's barely around. Yeah. You know, mostly is relics. Yeah. When I see them, occasionally, if I don't feel too grossed out, like sometimes I'll pick one up to see if it's and most of and the time. And be like, hello, Wallbash 5? <laughs> and then next to them were these sort of like attached to the wall sort of oval shaped ashtrays in the mall because you could smoke in a mall. Yeah. And that's as alien now as like smoking in a hospital. Yeah. Like, or on an airplane. And as time goes by, more and more, I think the elements of malls will just sort of like drop off as being something that we actually participate in day to day. So head out to a local mall while you can. <laughs> while you can. Oh, I don't, I don't think they're going to go away as fast as Blockbusters did. But yeah. it's one of those things that I never thought would go anywhere just because, oh, yeah. like I said, my, my idea of the world was just like, you know, you got home and then you got the mall. Yeah. But they've literally, their numbers have already been literally decimated compared to the heyday, for sure. You can still find them, but... Or watch the historical documents. Um, speaking of getting stuff... Yeah? Cat. Marshall! We've had a couple people uh, reach out to us, and one in particular, he uh, was a recipient of your CD, which we now offer for the second time. We never stopped offering Cat's CD... But we just mentioned it on one episode. Well, sure. So people just had to listen to that episode and then contact us. Say, like, I know it was a few years ago, but... Yeah. Well, Kat still... It still happens. Send me that CD if you want it. And the answer is yes. Just get in touch with us at boysandghouls at Gmail or through our Facebook account or our Twitter. Or Instagram. Get us a message to say, like, hey, I'd like to hear Kat singing various spooky songs <laughs> or songs sung spookily <laughs> from a CD that she made. And uh, request yours now so you can get it in time for Halloween. <laughs> and we'll get it right off to you because we think it's awesome, A, that you're even listening to us right now, and B, that you just want more. Yeah. So if you want a little more cat in your ear, drop us a line. So this gentleman did so. And then said, uh, hey, buddies, perhaps after listening to our, our horror host episode, was like, let me uh, do you a turn. And I got this in the mail. One second. Uh, here's the letter that he sent. His name's Cotton. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, Cotton, for sure. He interacts with us a lot on social media, and also his name is Cotton, which is amazing. And who puts a P.S. in a letter, even though oh, he sure in did. this day and age, you don't have to. Cute. He sent a letter. He printed, he typed and printed a letter. <laughs> I'm dying. Well, they were included in these <gasps> 15 discs. Oh, my God. Of horror host and horror host related items. Documentaries we might not have seen. Yeah. Um, I am going to, by the time this is done, know all about Virginia-based horror hosts. Oh, my God. Because there are two documentaries in there. This is like a treasure trove of stuff. I'm going to be spending a while uh, getting through all of this. He's suggesting some future episodes. Yes. And uh, so here's a here's an announcement, DC. I do. Which one? I do. I see a great suggestion that we're going to do next month, Marshall. Which will be? Well, he says female werewolves. Uh, I fell in love with ginger snaps when I was younger. Ginger snaps. So we're going to do ginger snaps there for are... you, Cotton. It's all for you. <laughs> there are three ginger snaps movies, and Kat and I will be watching all three. So this time next month, we'll be experts at Ginger Snaps. Oh, you said the brain that wouldn't die. Oh, are these like well, movies hosted by hosted. hosts? <gasps> Yeah. Oh my god! Cotton, you're the best. A lot of these are more modern horror hosts, as you might imagine. Yeah. 
So I got like Yvel Le Chat from Night Frights. There's a couple of those. Midnight Mausoleum with your hostesses Marlena Midnight and Robin Graves. <laughs> I'm be, Robin Graves! That's a good drag queen name. Right. I'm That's amazing. Enjoying them very much. And uh Oh, there was um Fritz the Night Owl, which, you know, my friend Ben is from Ohio and he was he saw that it said like night owl. He's like, well, that could be Fritz the night owl. He's not. He's like, oh my god, it's Fritz the night owl. <laughs> so I was just like taking in a DVD, making sure it worked, taking it out, putting in a DVD, making sure it worked. He's like, no, keep playing this one. Yeah, he watched like a lot of it, and <laughs> being like, Fritz. I'm like, yeah, the night owl. <laughs> uh, but people from Ohio are very into their horror hosts. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I also love that there are still some people holding strong, like keeping the thing that is the horror host Keep alive. Keep the fire burning. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It seems like the internet is, like, the medium for that now. Um, I mean, maybe there's still some running on, like, public access there, well, on local channels and stuff. There's local stuff, and I think some of these are local people, mm -hmm. but some of them are just online. Sure. Then there's... He sent this. It's a... Cthulhu. Oh, yes, this was what was in his note. He mentioned... Base game, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh, it's a game. Plenty of, uh, die. Oh, die. goodness. This scares me a little because, as constant listeners will know, the only literature that's ever straight up given me direct response nightmares, like read a story, get a nightmare, for, like, three nights in a row was H.P. Lovecraft when we did our Love That Lovecraft yeah. episode. Straight up nightmares. More than that. More than die. More than... A Cthulhu-themed game mm -hmm. is, he gave us these markers, um, or chips, what, what do you call them? Oh, yeah, uh-huh, sure. Um, oh, my God. The characters from the game, you know, so you can, like, move around the board. Sure. Oh, a photographer. You, or, or represent yourself. Ooh, a pretty lady. They're all uh -huh. sort of, like, 1920s characters. Yes, they are. Cool. And then he threw in a couple unique. <gasps> Whoa! <laughs> oh, my God. He took our image from, like, two different... Photos of us. That is so cool, and I'm a little bit overwhelmed. I'm a little emotional about this. And How sweet! Turned them into our own uh, tokens. What would you call them? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's just, probably just a to, name to for them in, in the book. Yeah, these great shots by Ricky Middlesworth right here on these game pieces. Game pieces. So next time I go to like a board game night, someone's oh, like, "So do you want to be like the shoe or the thimble?" And I'll be like, "No." Brought my own. This is so beyond beyond compare. Mm -hmm. You look really cool on this. Yeah. So do I. I know. This is so fun. That made my whole day. That made, like, my millennium. Wow. And we were also contacted by listener Suzanne. I'm going to say listener because that's... If you come at us through our Gmail, I know that you've at least fast-forwarded through one episode. Sure, sure. Um, so we heard from Suzanne at... What's this con? Monsterama. Monsterama. Asking us if we could let the world know that there's going to be a monster con in the Atlanta area. When's that going to be? It's going to be Friday, September 29th through Sunday, October 1st. Oh my God, that's perfect timing. That's like just a good kickoff to the Halloween season would be to go to something like this. It says it's in the Atlanta area, which I checked on a map. It is. Okay. <laughs> uh, Atlanta's pretty big. Yeah. So it's it's. But if you're there. so inclined, I'm sure you can Google Monsterama. Monsterama. And, and figure out exactly where it's at. Is, are there any details about what people can expect? Yes. Highlights include a uh, Dick Miller. Well, we just yeah. talked about him on this episode of Boys and Ghouls. Right, and there will be a screening of the documentary That Guy, Dick Miller. 
Oh, cool. Sybil Danning of Howling 2. I never, we haven't really gotten into the Howling films. But uh, Sybil Danning from Part 2. And uh, that movie showed me some stuff. Oh, boy. Uh, Daniel Roebuck. Not a huge name, but the longer I've spent sort of in the, the horror community, let's say, mm-hmm. the more he keeps coming up. As an actor, you know you've seen him. He also, he has his own spook show character that he'll play. Cool. And it's my prediction that when the Monster Kid generation kind of passes on, that one of the big torchbearers of the world of horror and monsters of that, you know, era will be Daniel Roebuck, mm. I, I believe. He's, he's sort of like primed to become like the next, like, Bob Burns, Forey Ackerman kind of. Sure. The stuff that they would cover. Yeah. I think he'll be, like, the next, like, go-to guy for that. That's so charming. You love hearing about someone carrying the torch. I've always wanted to go, like, it's a dream of mine to kind of have the ducats to go to some of these more, I mean, I don't know how big this con is, but ones that feel a little bit more homegrown or they're in areas that aren't Los Angeles. Because I hear, I've heard Texas Frightmare is great. Sounds like Monsterama is amazing. Um, And I used to live outside of Atlanta, so it's kind of roots for me. Yeah, I was thinking about, like, you know, here in Los Angeles... You know, you get some names because all they have to do is just, like, drive 10 minutes and they can make it to the convention center. But there's a lot of production in in Atlanta. Yeah. So I think they can uh, pull a pretty good crowd on either side of the booth. Yeah, totally. I feel. So. September 29th. September 29th. October 1st. Monsterama. Check it out. I want to go. They were good enough to contact the Boys and Ghouls organization because they thought we could reach some like-minded people. Awesome. So there you go, everybody. Well, if someone who hears this happens to go, please contact us and let us know how it was and give us a little spooky gab of your own. Give us the rundown of what your experience was like at Monsterama. All right. Well, we've told people a lot. (laughs) Mostly about malls. Yeah. A little about ourselves and a lot about Monsterama. Do you have anything uh, to just sort of wrap it up you want to tell the people? Just thanks to Cotton and everybody for being great and listening. And Mm -hmm. this was a really fun episode to cover. And I'm excited about next month. I'm really excited about some idea that we have, that you have, that's going to come up sometime in the future Mm -hmm. that we're going to start prepping for now. I'm just excited about everything, boys Mm -hmm. and ghouls. That's all I got. That you wanted to tell people? Oh, well, sure. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess I should probably tell them, beware the moon.